Cocktail College is brought to you by Zacapa Number no. Twenty Three Rum. Listener, I want to talk to you about aging today, and specifically about Solera aging. You probably know it from the fine wines of Jerez in Spain, and you've probably noticed that it's become something of a trend these days in distilled spirits. Well, for Zacapa Number no. Twenty Three Rum, that's always been the process, a blend of 6 to 23-year-old rums using the Solera method, but not only that. Here's what's super interesting. That aging takes place at some of the highest altitude facilities in the world. They call it the house above the clouds. And when you start to get that combination, that unique combination of Solera and altitude, what you end up with is an aged rum that is truly unique. Here's what else is unique. The patate weaving on every single bottle because they're hand-woven. And I'm a sucker for bottle design, so I wanted to point that out. But folks, that is Zacapa Rum number 23. The bottle looks great. The liquid tastes great. And it's got a really unique story you can share with friends. Head to ZacapaRum.com right now to learn more. Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Listener, try to imagine a world in which both bread and ground beef exist, but we've yet to bring them together to enjoy as a burger. Pretty scary stuff, am I right? But that was the case for over a thousand years, with the earliest texts dating burgers, or something resembling a burger but without the bun, back to the Roman Empire in the 4th century. Seriously, what took us so long to come up with the burger? And I know what you're thinking, but there is a good reason we're kicking off this cocktail podcast with that little thought experiment slash history lesson. That's right, because there was also a time in which multiple types of alcohol, including spirits, existed, but we'd yet to come up with the magical concept of the cocktail. Now, if your attendance to Cocktail College is pretty good, you'll know we've previously gone deep on the definition and very origins of the word cocktail. But today, we're going back even further to explore punches, the style and category of drinks that laid the literal or figurative foundation for our typical subject matter. And joining us to do so is Tural Hasanov, the director of Arts Club And, more importantly for today's episode, Punch Room, both at the Tampa edition. Tural's expansive career has seen him work, live and travel in and to, if you're still with me on this one, far-flung places across the globe. Kind of like punches. But today, he's joining us in the hot seat. Listener, it's one of sour, two of sweet, three of strong, four of weak... And a final component, which you'll find out in a couple of seconds, as we kick off this week's edition of the Cocktail College Podcast. We're bringing a touch of spice to make things nice in the virtual Cocktail College studio today. We're about to dive into punches and with none other than Tural Hasanov. Tural, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Tim. It's absolutely an honor. It's a pleasure to have you on here. Um... I teased it there. The, the listeners already know. They've seen the title of the episode. It's Punches. But I want to kick off today with a quote, something I was reading earlier in the wonderful Oxford Companion. 
Uh, the the entry for punches was written by none other than Dave Wondrich himself, um, and so so I want to kick off with a little sentence here that I pull from there because I think it's uh, I, I think it's basically everything we're going to get into today, and that is uh, quote the foundational drink of modern mixology and the first mixed drink based on spirits to gain global popularity. The punch punches iconic drink, and yet. Beyond what you fine folks are doing, I want to say is maybe kind of lost its way a little bit in terms of modern mixology, right? Like, but truly very, very important to the history of of cocktails, iconic drink. Uh, so I can't wait for us to get into that, Terrell. But maybe you can do that. You know, maybe you can tell us now, talk about the history, and tell us about yeah, how does this predate the cocktail? How does this set up what we've come to know as cocktails? And what is the history of this, I'm going to say, category of incredible drinks? Um, yeah, well, uh, great quote, by the way. I think um, we're going to host David Wondrich soon. Um, <laughs> great gentleman, fantastic historian, and a uh, perfect quote. Yes, the punch, um, probably the oldest uh, mixed drink, I would say, um, uh, obviously, the cocktail's definition is um, space, spirits, uh, beers, and water. Uh, but uh, I completely agree that the punch most probably is the oldest uh, mixed drink recipe um, in the world. And the punch history is very long, so it's very hard to track uh, the punch uh, history. Um, but I would say if you want to learn about the punch, and the punch became very famous um, lately, once again, because of the clarification of the drinks and when they milk, the, it's basically clarification. I would not 100% say, but I would say that the clarification of drinks is coming from milk punch. Yep. Yes, and the milk punch and the punch itself. So basically, if you want to know, uh, master your knowledge on punch and the clarification and all this topic that we're going to cover, the two books that um, must read books, um, one obviously is the David Pontes uh, punch book, and the yep. second one I would say the Dave Arnold's Liquid Intelligence, which is probably one of the book first books that covered the clarification and everything. Two fantastic books. If you go through those books, you will have all the information you may need. Um, yes, they're a little complicated, a uh, little difficult for the beginner, but if uh, if you want to master both topics, I think that's that those are the books you should be mm -hmm. having in your bookshelf. Um, so coming back to the punch, I would take it from not the original punch recipe that like sailors were making. I would take like from Southeast Asia. I would take it from the milk punch. Interesting. I would take it from milk punch. And the milk punch uh, actually has recorded recipe. Mm -hmm. The first recorded recipe, which is 1711. Wow. Um, Yes, uh, actually British, um, a woman called uh, Marie Rocket. She is the one first recorded the original um, the milk punch recipe. If you would ask me uh, the recipe, I can give you the recipe as well. It's, it's a regular recipe of, um, it says, uh, I will just quote, uh, add two uh, gallons of hot milk uh, to a gallon of brandy, add five quarts of water, eight lemons and two pounds of sugar. <laughs> that was the first recorded uh, recipe, which is dating back to 1711. Now, if anybody would ask uh, why a milk, why clarified, why a milk punch, and why a punch, 
obviously, if, if you talk about the punch, it would be just sharing because it's all about socializing, sharing, having from one bowl, uh, sharing with different people, mm-hmm. um, which is very was very important of gathering parts. Um, why milk punch and why clarification? The first reason and probably the most important reason was the alcohol. The distillation was not at that level as it is now. And now the distillation is the state-of-the-art distillation now. Mm-hmm. The companies, they produce distillation cubes that and uh, the distillation stills that they can, you don't need anybody to run it. It will just run itself and it will perfectly cut the heads of tails of and will keep the hearts. But back then, uh, distillation was uh, either alembic distillation or pot stills and even uh, some kind of uh, rectified, um, like uh, INS coffees uh, distillation. Yeah. But it didn't have that computer system that would precisely cut. It was based on distillers' um, instinct or knowledge and experience where to cut it. So basically, uh, that would make the alcohol harsh. So they didn't know how much to cut. So the, when the distillation comes to ethanol, but before ethanol, you have a butanol, you have acetone that is evaporating, and every methanol that is evaporating, you need to precisely cut them off. Um, but they were, they didn't have that computer system that would be allowing it. So alcohol was harsh. Basically. More rudimentary. Yeah, it was very, very harsh. To drink something harsh, you had to add something into it. Juices, fruits, something to make it softer. Mm-hmm. And citrus was the most important part of it. And for um, if we would go back to the 1711 England, uh, that would be lemons. Mm-hmm. So they would add the citrus, and citrus would make it softer, would remove the harsh elements, sugar would balance out the acidity from the citrus. Mm-hmm. So it was a very nice portable light uh, alcohol. Like, you know, the first wines even, the Greeks, uh, they used to add water into wine to make it uh, softer. To drink Interesting. It with, the, with the water or like a piece of toast into it and everything. <laughs> um, so that is the first part, to make it softer. The harsh alcohol to make it softer to drink. So milk is milk is kind of building upon the, those balancing of yes. the the, the, yes. the citrus and the, the the sweetness. Because of the protein in the milk and the, the compounds in the milk, they just bonded everything together. But that was not the most important part of it, the milk part. That is the important part of adding uh, citrus and any other fruit juices and everything. And second part, there was no refrigeration. There was no absolutely no refrigeration. Anything you add a perishable item to, you had to discard it at the end of the night or maximum next day morning. Mm-hmm. So adding milk turns out the proteins from milk uh, curled and they get the uh, so if you filter it through, you will get clarified. If you clean, uh, clarify it, right, and this will also make it um, shelf stable. I think like if you would have a milk punch, you would easily keep it for a week interesting based on of course based on like like shelf life and see what you add what you don't add but without refrigeration you could basically keep it for weeks Mm -hmm. so these are the two things i believe she wanted to fix and she did it very very well (laughs) so um, that's where the milk punch is coming from originally um 
Can I ask you, so you mentioned just before we, we got into milk punches there, you mentioned that's where you would start when it comes to kind of looking at this this style of drinks. Uh, but you mentioned before then kind of sailors were doing things. So obviously, you know, throughout time, we've seen ingredients created to help prolong shelf life of things, right? Uh, roses, lime cordial, for example, for the, yeah. for the gimlet, you know, that classic one. Um, so... Where were we before that? Just just to give us a bit of a glimpse. So like sailors or people would be making these punches maybe for larger voyages, but they might not have been shelf stable because of some of the fresh ingredients in there and because the ABV's not as high as just a straight spirit on its own. I think um, definitely they didn't solve that problem of shelf stability. Um, if we go a little bit more back, um, I think we, we should we should look at the Dave's uh, book for that. Um, I would say Southeast Asia. Yes. Um, Southeast Asia, Iraq, Batavia, Iraq, most probably one of the first ones starting everything. And the citrus were there, obviously, limes and passion fruits and oranges and everything, everything that you can find in Southeast Asia. But that was most probably, I would say, to, to fight this COVID. To, to have something more portable because the seasickness is was not well well uh, researched, not well uh, understood, I would say, and having a citrus that would uh, combat that phenomenon would be very uh, very important. So basically, probably uh, one of the sailors they put it together, or they found that recipe in the Southeast Asia, and. Um, I I don't know for 100%, but I've read one um, article, I am trying to recall what the article was, um, that Southeast Asia, a sailor sent a uh, mail back saying what the people uh, drinking there, and that was probably the first uh, mention of punch. Interesting. Because the punch, the origin comes, uh, the word punch, still uh, debates and everything. So the two, one is the, the punch, which is Parsi and the uh, old Indian word for five. And we know now that the uh, punch has five elements. If you don't have these five elements, you are not able to call it punch. You obviously like, you know, you go to friends, families, and they they tell you that, oh, we made punch, let's have punch. Um, unfortunately, that's not punch. <laughs> that's just like uh, ever clear with pineapple water, pineapple yeah. or like uh, cranberry juice. Um, yeah, but uh, you need to have five elements. If you don't have those five elements, you cannot call it punch. I would, mm. I would say, I'm not here to, um, you know, define the punches uh, description and everything. But um, I would say you need to have those five elements. Mm-hmm. And the second one is the punchion, the barrel. That that is another another way to put that that name of punch coming from. Yeah. But if you'd ask me personally, I would say the punch because mm-hmm. of the uh, five elements. Uh, that uh, the drink must have. Mm-hmm. Was the first punch had all these five elements? The first, the sailors one, I wouldn't think so. Got it. They had the uh, spices and everything, but I wouldn't say so because they didn't have dilution into it. They mm-hmm. had juices as citrus and as dilution at the same time. And they obviously had sugar uh, from the sugarcane, which is the origin of uh, Sugarcane is Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. But uh, the first milk punch that we mentioned, 
it has all the elements that we were looking for. Fantastic. It has a base spirit, which was the brandy. It has the dilution. I would say the milk was the dilution. Uh, lemons are there, uh, sugar is there, and uh, spices as a nutmeg mm-hmm. uh, was there. So that's basically the everything five. that we need for yes, everything yeah. that we need for the punch. So I, I want to pause us here just for a second before we move on to to, to the next. Uh, I would say maybe era or whatnot, and just want to point out here how. You know, I, I want to say forward thinking, but actually more like all of the things that we think we're doing that are very modern and cutting edge are actually very old, right? Not just clarification and milk punch that you spoke about there, but also uh, the punch and barrels, basically batching cocktails, right? We're talking about that and barrel aging, whether you want to or not, like it's, it's aging somewhat, right, in the, in the container there. Um, I want us to call out the five ingredients and, and I want to also maybe... Uh, get your take on this or, or get some information on this. So, you know, we're, we've spoken about this journey, uh, Southeast Asia. I, I think that's very credible there that, you know, you that that's where, based on the ingredients, where it would originate. Then, you know, you perhaps uh, end up in, in what is now the UK or England. And then you have a very robust kind of trading and a naval fleet there and going to far-flung places like India, as you mentioned there, with the with the five. Uh, but then also, that was a very long way of me saying, then eventually ending up in the Caribbean, and I want to say specifically Barbados, uh, I believe, where we, we where we come up with this wonderful rhyme, or, or we, we we discover this rhyme that was created there that that basically highlights what those five ingredients are. Tural, can you can you talk us and can you tell us a little bit about that? What those five ingredients are, kind of in general, and what that very memorable rhyme is that's very useful. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, one thing before uh, before I start. Um, Back to what you just said, we were thinking that we are modern and everything, but uh, things have done, like, ready-to-drink cocktails. Yes. <laughs> Punch is a ready-to-drink cocktail. Diluted, yeah. Yes, ready-to-drink cocktail. That is 17-11. Can you imagine, Tim? 17-11, and we're thinking that ready-to-drink cocktails are taking over, ready-to-drink cocktails are taking <laughs> over. But 17-11. Yeah, um, back to the question. Caribbean, yes. Caribbean is the place that made punch very, very famous. I think every every recipe that we looked at, uh, prehistoric, I would say, uh, the ancient beginnings, those are brandy made, based on brandy. Like Batavia Rak um, is not specifically brandy, but uh, it's kind of kind of the distillation that can, can be considered that way. Uh, but most of them, after that, when it comes to England and everything, was made based on brandy. But turns out rum makes perfect punches. Rum really makes perfect punches. You, you don't need to tie the punch to rum, but uh, that's where uh, the popularity surged so so rapidly. Five elements. Um, the Barbados, I agree with you, the Barbados, uh, one of the oldest uh, rum distillation history goes back to um, uh, Barbados and distillery is that is operating now still in Barbados. They have two oldest uh, pot stills made of wood, in wow. Bar- if I'm not mistaken, in Barbados. It goes back to, I think that those are the original uh, coffee stills, if I'm not mistaken, made of wood. Wow. So the oldest one is actually in there. Now, um, the elements. So base spirit. Um, 
Just because we're in uh, Florida, we use mostly rum or tequila, anything that is from Caribbean or North American part. That would be uh, rum or tequila. Um, citrus, citrus can be any citrus, needs to have uh, enough acidity. Really, need, really needs to have enough right. acidity to balance out the uh, sweetness. Um, those are lemons, limes, uh, any other citrus you prefer. Passion fruit makes perfect sour to sweet balance because actually passion fruits, the acidity level is higher than uh, those of limes. Um, dilution, dilution can be anything, uh, water, tea, coffee, um, juices themselves can be as a dilution and citrus at the same time. But we mainly use tea as a dilution because um, I would say from starting from the beginning in England, it would make sense to use tea mm-hmm. in, a, in a punch. And great to dilute with something that has flavor Do, as opposed exactly, to just exactly, water. Exactly. Well, well done. Um, then I would say the spices. Uh, can be any any spice you prefer. The original one was probably nutmeg, the first uh, spice we used. Um, we use a lot of uh, Madagascar vanilla and we use a lot of um, uh, other spices like cloves and uh, cardamom and everything. Um, that and the sugar is the last one. And sweetener, we call it sugar, but it's basically sweetener because you can sweeten with anything. We've done punches that would... Uh, we combine dilution and sweetener together as a tea and honey, mm-hmm. uh, which makes really, really nice. Um, we use a lot of honey in uh, uh, in our sweetener. And also sugar probably was the original one, yeah. the cane sugar. And I would say even like the crushed cane that has a very, very sweet juice mm-hmm. uh, was one of the one of the first ones. Because, because it was before the crystallization, right? So mm-hmm. you need to... Uh, crush it, take the juice, uh, evaporate the water, and have the crystals to get the stemerara and all the all the sugar that we use. Um, probably it was the uh, crushed juice. Um, so maybe that's, that's the reason there was no mm-hmm. dilution, because that worked as a dilution. And you mentioned as well before, obviously, you know, you know, Southeast Asian beginnings. I can't remember whether you mentioned, but I think I read there in that Oxford Companion uh, entry too that most likely palm sugar in the beginning there, which is, uh, you know, a, a very interesting ingredient to uh, work with. I recall from my days in the kitchen would be, you know, solid. You're trying to weigh out palm sugar and you're hacking away. Yeah, at <laughs> yeah it's a it's a tough one. Um, to Rao, question for you here. So just a reminder for the folks too. you know, that 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 rhyme that uh, I was kind of mentioning there, we're talking um, and, and those ingredients, as you just mentioned, uh, going in, in numerical order here, uh, one of sour, two of sweet, three of strong, four of weak, the dilution that you're talking about there, and a touch of spice to make things m- nice as we kicked off the show here today. Um, so first, very simple question for you. Do you generally stick to those proportions um, when you are devising or testing out punch recipes yourself? Um, I would say now not many people do that. Okay. Why? Because there's so many different ingredients. We're not just making, like, one of the punches that we have, it has coconut-infused Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> wow. So it's... It's it's very difficult to balance out because Sauvignon Blanc itself will have different flavor. Coconut infused one will have a different flavor, and with sticking with that rule, 
it would make it a little bit complicated, I would say. Yeah. But it's always good. This rule is not that someone came up with. It's something that just, I would say, it appeared itself as a perfect ratio, like the golden ratio. Right? Yes. Anything you follow this, it will become tasty, but it will be standard. It will not be something unique, something different. Yeah. It will be standard. Maybe the flavor profile will be different, but finishing will be the same, I would say, because you have precise measurement of every part that you need to add into it. Mm -hmm. So I would say go with this if you don't want to make any mistakes. Say that someone is coming to you and they say, today is my birthday or my wife's birthday or my partner's birthday. She likes this, she likes that, um, or like the person likes this, likes that. Can you come up with a punch recipe for her? And as I would say, stick the recipe and it will be very nice. Yeah, yeah. Just change the ingredients. <laughs> like, um, ask the, the strong part, what do you like? She says, I like gin. Okay, strong part is gin. What sour part do you like? What the, You ask those questions, not mentioning the kind of quantity or like the measurement, just ask the names of it, yeah. like preference, and you stick to the ratio and you'll get the perfect uh, perfect drink. Fantastic. But again, it will be standard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a great point. You mentioned Dave Arnold earlier in Liquid Intelligence, fantastic book. I actually have one, not that the listeners can see this, but a copy right over there on our bar, you know, 10 feet away from me. Um, all of which is to say, it's a good point because when we're talking however many parts of sour Actually, no, I think a lot of modern bartenders think don't talk about sour, they talk about pH. And when we're talking about something sweet, we're not talking about sweet, we're talking about bricks, right? And and so those things can be very different. And if you are using, I don't know, uh, a grapefruit in place of lemon, then it's not going to have the same acidity, not going to have the same overall effect. So it sounds interesting that this formula works. And especially if you're in a pinch and you're, you need to come up with a cocktail for a big group of people, uh, it, you know, you can just look around and try and follow that. But we're here talking with yourself and, and our listeners want to hear about how the world's best bars are approaching this. And you're someone who has a whole bar program <laughs> devoted to punches. So my first question for you when thinking about that is, which thing do you choose first? Are you choosing the base spirit first and then building around that? Or or can it just differ from drink to drink? Maybe you try something you're like, oh, I really like this component. I would love to build a punch around it. Like what's, what's the thinking there? Um, so the first I wanted to add into the thing that you just mentioned um, about the pH level and everything. Again, you see, before alcohol was harsh, now alcohol is, like, you can have a bourbon or whiskey straight from the barrel, which is 120 proof, 125 proof, and you still can drink it. Because the distillation, it's at that level that the computer can control even its small particles to be separated from hmm. heads and tails and keep the best of hearts. Now, the cocktails are at that level too. Now, you can adjust anything. Like, if you want to use lemon, and lemon's acidity is not enough, you can add acid simply. You can add, like, you can adjust the pH level. You can adjust the bricks. You can adjust everything. You can basically adjust, uh, adjust it. Like, if you would tell uh, Marie Rocket that we'll have a centrifuge that 
in just no time will because she kept it for one hour and then she strained it probably another half a day. And if you tell her, listen, we'll put in a small tube, we'll put inside the machine, and it will be one part uh, the particles and one part will be just a cl- uh, clear liquid with no pigments and nothing in the in there. And she would say, uh, like you know, she would shoot the. Uh, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Yeah, but coming back to the question. Personally, I when I do something, when we do the bar program, and I think the the world class bars are also they would agree with us, and that you need to tie everything to something. We are in in a stage that cocktails and bars are not just the drinks and just the establishments to have the drink. You need to tell a story. You need to entertain. You need to tie it to something. Why there should be a purpose? That's a perfect word. There should be a purpose why you're doing it. And for that is the concept first. We come up with the concept first. Like we're working on a new punch book, right? I'll tell you guys and now probably everybody knows already. Very nice. Uh, so the concept, new concept of punch room is that the Americas and the part one is North America and part two will be South America. So now we know the concept, the Americas. And then we know the second part of the concept, which is, the North America, and then we'll take it there. All right, what's in North America? We have Mexico, U.S., and Canada. All right, what are we doing? We're doing four cocktails for Mexico, five cocktails for U.S., four cocktails for Canada, trying to hit every cultural aspect that is possible. Wow. Like Mexico, you would, you like if you would, if I would tell you Mexico, you most probably know already what we're going to do. It's going from south, from tequila, from uh, uh, from mezcal from the south going to Central Park with Tepache, going up north with the tequila, and then we'll have one non-alcoholic. Then you go up to U.S., which is Florida South. Brown would make a perfect sense. Then you go to California, that the wine would make a perfect sense. You go to Kentucky or that uh, Midwest, that bourbon would make sense. You go to, up to New York, that international aspect would make any sense. So that's the concept. You build the concept, and based on the concept, you know already what ingredients you can use. So if I would just come, I want to make a punch and I want to use this, like if, say, my bar team, they come to me, they say, listen, trough, I want to make a punch and I will use gin. I would say, why? Like, what's what's the reason? What's the reason behind? But when, when I would go to them and I would say, I need four cocktails representing uh, Mexico or Canada, right, from our new menu. They will say, okay, I will take tequila. One will say, I will take tepache. And then one will say, I will take the mezcal. And that's easy now. It's they know the base spirit because base spirit is very important. Most of the flavor will come from base spirit. If you would overpower the base spirit's flavor profile, why would you even use the base spirit? That's a good Just point. Use, yeah, use uh, ethanol, like <laughs> use vodka. Definition of vodka is no flavor, no odorless, flavorless. Right, uh, water very, and ethanol. Very much so. That's it. But if you have a uh, base spirit, please don't try to overpower base spirit's flavor profile. So you have the base spirit now. Now you need to know what will be the additional part of it that would balance out dilution. I would say I would I would also go with the stronger alcohol, the darker aged ones. I would go with the Assam tea or Earl Grey tea. My personal favorite, I put Earl Grey in everything. Wow. So Earl Grey tea, um, uh, if it's a dark aged spirit, because 
flavors are some somehow similar. And Earl Grey is bergamot. Bergamot is citrus. Um, so the flavors are very, very similar. And if you want to use wine, use coconut, use jasmine tea, which goes perfectly with the rosé wine or white wine and so on. Then uh, spices, and the spices would basically should be complementing because you always have aftertaste. The first, you get the flavor profile, and aftertaste, usually spices stay aftertaste. So if you will have, say, um, bourbon or cognac, because the aging process uh, is mainly extraction. Right? The aging process is basically extraction and oxidation. Um, extraction gets everything from the barrel, from the wood. And wood has uh, tannins, wood has uh, vanillin and everything. Mm-hmm. So it gets from there. And when you have bourbon, you get the first flavor profile and aftertaste, you always have what? Those spices left. The baking spices, yeah, for yes. sure. So I would say add that as a balance out to keep it for aftertaste. Interesting. That's a great, yeah. So it should have, I don't want to make it too complicated. Maybe it sounds very complicated. No, no. But it, when you put all together, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. When, okay, I've got some follow-ups here because this is this is getting my brain going. Uh, you know, I'm going to put a timestamp on this as well for, for folks listening. Uh, this will be coming out after the big game, but there is going to be a big game this weekend coming up and uh, definitely an occasion where a punch might be a good idea, right? So my brain, you know, the, the, the gears are turning here. Um, would it be a good idea for us to look into our other kind of cocktail knowledge when it comes to the sour element here and say, okay, if I'm using a whiskey or bourbon, for example, if I was making a whiskey sour, I'm probably going to go with lemon. On the other hand, if I'm making an agave spirits-based drink, chances are I'm probably going to go with lime. If I'm using gin, I could maybe go with either, depending on where I want to go with the drink. And then I guess the final question is, so if that is a good idea, First of all, like, is that where I should be thinking here when it comes to, I got my base spirit, this is what I'm going to build upon it as well, or this is a good place for me to, to start? Um, very good question. See, I never, never thought of that part because preference, I would say the preferences, the personally, you get used to using something that is very famous, uh, very, very close to, like personally, I do passion fruit as a sound. Interesting, yeah. You put passion fruit is salmon or fruits you put in anything it will taste good <laughs> um, but i wouldn't say there is one specific thing like if it's a bourbon you should have uh, lemon into it to do for the sour part again it comes to something that would not like completely cover the flavor profile of the base spirit like lemon goes very well with the with the bourbon or with the, even with gin anything i would take it from terroir if you would ask me, I would take it from terroir. I think that would make sense. Like something that grows in that, that area would make perfect sense. But again, you will end up with a standard thing. You will not end up with something new if you don't put something new. You never know. Like you never know. Like if you, I would put, um, say, passion fruit into vodka. Like vodka is another world. Passion fruit is another world. Uh, but Passion fruit martini is one of the tastiest drink you would uh, you would ever have, right? Because you know you don't know. Just go with terroir and just experiment. Try it. Don't don't assume. Try it. Like if you think like when I say 
guys, let's try. Um, I don't know. That, like you see the food, the cuisine, and everything that is coming up. It's, everything is fusion now. It's Southeast Asian with uh, American fusion cuisine, and European, the French with the Japanese fusion, and everything and everything. So the fusion is making something new, and these new things may end up nice. Or may end up something that you mm-hmm. would say, okay, <laughs> didn't work, didn't work. We mentioned this in passing. Uh, we do have an acid adjusting episode out there for folks to maybe do a little refresher on if they want to look into that technique and bricks more. Um, you might not, there might not be an answer for this, but if I decide to use uh, one of those less uh, or would have a higher pH, less acidic fruits, citrus, right? And I want to acid adjust that, say an orange, right? Should I be aiming for the acidity and profile mm-hmm. of a lemon or a lime? Or again, is it just the, the answer to that? It depends. Depends. It really <laughs> depends. If you want to use orange, let's say you want to use orange, but you obviously know that orange is um, not as sour as the rest of the citruses. Should I balance it out with the, uh, with the pH and everything and everything? I would say... Why do you use orange then? Use another one. If you want add orange essence oil into into it and make it more orangey, mm-hmm. if you want that orange flavors, um, you can always add the flavor on top. If you want orange's flavor profile, let's say the oils from orange, spray it on top of it. Mm-hmm. So, or spray it into the glass. So usually I don't like to spray on top of the glass. You can spray it into the glass. Because when you spray on top of the glass, the oils, it will stay on top because oils are getting uh, stick on the top. And with the first sip, you will get all of it, and then the rest is gone. Mm-hmm. But if you put inside the glass, it will just kind of become a minceable liquid. It will become uh, one thing which is... Which like that absinthe rinse in a, in a fantastic yeah. Sazerac, for example. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. you put that on top... It's it gone would, after the first sip, yes. yeah. So if you... The balancing is very important. It's good. Um I I wouldn't do it personally. I, it. I wouldn't do it. If if I want oranges flavor, I would do something based on oranges mm-hmm. flavor. So I think personally, as someone who has enjoyed many punches and, you know, hasn't made one before, I feel pretty confident now that I can kind of go out from this conversation and do some experimentation on my own. Um, but, you know, we like to give the listeners here something to go off first. And, and Tarao, I know that you're coming to this recording with not just one, but two recipes for us here today. So that's a that's a very much a treat. Uh, one, as I, I we were chatting about beforehand, right? One is going to be a little bit more geared towards the professional bar scenario, and it's going to take longer. And one's going to be more of a a starting block that anyone can kind of do with anything. So uh, which one of those would you like us to tackle first today? Um, I would say we start from the, the easier one. Let's do it. Which is our top selling. Your top Actually, selling punch. Top, yes, our top selling huh. punch. It's called, our current menu is based on Caribbean. And the Caribbean obviously is will be rum uh, and will be some part of the Gulf of Mexico, which will be um, agave spirits as well. So this one is called the Tampa Punch, just because we are in Tampa, so we decided to call it a, a Tampa Punch. Um, and it has uh, mezcal, and it has pineapple, it has rum, and uh, coconut, and uh, wine. Now, so we have two kinds of mezcals. Mezcals are 
super varied. Like you can have because tequila basically you can use only one kind of agave, uh, the plant, mm-hmm. but mezcal doesn't have that hmm. uh, restriction. So mezcal you can have like you can you will have joven, which is the very very uh, common uh, mezcal, and espadin also would be another type of uh, the agave that that has some kind of more peppery and vegetal notes to it. So we put mezcals together. Um, we put two different mezcals together. We do pineapple olea. So now, pineapple olea, the word is coming from Latin. So olea saccharum is oil and sugar. Sugar, as you know, is the three, uh, two elements, the sugar and salt, they absorbent. They absorb the water, I would say, right? So if you put pineapple or orange or lemon or lime skins, because the skins, they contain the oil, and you put them with the sugar, the, the oil, uh, sugar will absorb the oil and it will become uh, oleo. Mm-hmm. So that's pineapple oleo. Just cut the skins out, put into the sugar and keep it for a day max and it will get the, the oils from pineapple. And you will have pineapple syrup. Mm-hmm. This is pineapple syrup. Amazing. Yes, it's not um, commercially made pineapple syrup. That is like you open the bottle from 100 miles, you can feel the flavor of uh, pineapple. <laughs> but... It has very soft touch to it. The pineapple oleo, uh, we have rum, overproof rum. Uh, in here, it's 109 proof rum, uh, which gives it a little bit more uh, uh, alcohol into it. And we do coconut and Sauvignon Blanc. So we decided, uh, because we are in the Caribbean, we were thinking that what can we do to a wine? <laughs> <laughs> So it was said, all right, let's try to put coconut into it. I, I wanted to put coconut and passion fruit when we were doing it first time. But it would change the color of the of the wine and it would the passion fruit would overpower coconut. Passion fruit is too strong. Um Sauvignon Blanc already has the passion fruit flavor in hundred percent. So you add coconut, uh, you can add chips, you can add coconut meat into it, shake it well, put it in the fridge, strain, and you have coconut flavored, perfect passion fruit, I would say. Wow. Because passion fruit has this, uh, Sauvignon Blanc already has these flavors, um, the passion fruit flavor, the tropical flavors and everything. Only one thing is missing from Sauvignon Blanc is coconut, and you add it into it. <laughs> so it's, it's a very nice, wow. interesting thing. And we add all together um, a strain. It's not uh, a cheesecloth or uh, like coffee filter strain. It's just a regular strain. Um, just to get rid of any other particles that may get stick, like coconuts uh, can get stick in there, and you will have a beautiful, beautiful punch. Put it on big ice, on a rocks glass, and put, I would say, put a flower on top of it. Looks beautiful. Hmm. Uh, if you have, you use the big ice, you put the flower on top of it. You don't need many stuff. Just put flower on top of it, or just um, if you're using a tall glass, just put one pineapple mm-hmm. um, leaf into it and it will become very, very nice. It's our top seller. Amazing. Um, so if I can ask a couple follow-up questions there. Uh, overproof rum, are we talking unaged rum there? And molasses-based distillate, or are we talking, yes? Yes, yes, it is molasses-based uh, and it is, um, I believe it's a grade A, yeah, it should be grade A, uh, molasses distilled uh, overproof white rum. Mm-hmm. Um 
pineapple basically would have so now let's break it down to five elements yeah and and can you maybe also give us yeah. a little bit more indication in terms of uh, quantities there because especially you know when it comes to maybe pineapple to sugar and also quantities overall or ratio going into that uh, punch ratio will be complicated because we when we build that recipes we build for like say 60 or 50 mm-hmm. so and then you come up with like two, three bottles of this, three mm-hmm. bottles of this. Again, you can follow the recipe that Jeff just talked about. The weak, um, the strong, the dilution, and everything. You, you put it uh, that way, it will be some somehow the similar uh, punch. Interesting. Will come out Great. Of this. Yeah. But I would say um, the main part, the biggest part, should be the pineapple oleo and the Sauvignon Blanc because that would give, them, give it a juice, and the kind of dilution and citrus and the Sauvignon Blanc and coconut together would make some kind of uh, spices into it. And the mezcals, the espadines, actually can be considered as a spice addition to it. Got it. So because of the yeah, because of all the um, the flavor profile is there, you can actually be. I would consider because that's why we didn't add any additional spice to it because espadine would make it. Mm-hmm. Um, would add that flavors into it. So you were going to tell us those five different categories, and you were going to uh, highlight where they where they are in this. Uh, I I have them here as well. So let's just make sure I'm on the same page as you. One of sour. That's going to be our pineapple. Yes. Uh, two of sweet. Well, the sweet comes in with the pineapple, so it's the same. pineapple oleo. Yes. Okay. So you but and you're that's all in one, right? The pineapple oleo. We have pineapple juice. Ah, and we have pineapple oleo into God. it. So the pineapple juice would give that and it's young pineapple. So it would be sour. Sour, yeah, and that yes. tartness. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And young pineapple would have a lot of oils and everything because it's just growing up. Got it. So So basically we use everything. Like pineapple skins go to um, oleo and the middle part would go for juice. So we don't, we don't want to throw away many stuff. Hmm. So we, we, we're trying to work out something that, um, like, if you would see some, like, this cocktail's garbage bin that I would say next to bar is empty for the, when we make this cocktail. For the produce, yeah. Wow. So don't throw Don't throw out anything. Mm-hmm. So sours, pineapple juice, pineapple oleosacrum is the sweet. The strong is the uh, rum and the espadine. Um are we roughly breaking that? Is that roughly kind of equal parts? Are we breaking that down in yes, half? Yes, equal parts. Equal. If you put a bottle of this, you can put a bottle of a that. A bottle of another. Fantastic. Uh, and then the quote-unquote weak, that's going to be our coconut-infused Sauvignon, Sauvignon Blanc. Blanc. Yes. Amazing. And and uh, you said that can be either toasted chips or even coconut milk? Um, coconut milk would, no. would clarify it. No. Uh, okay, so we're yeah. going purely for, for some yes. coconut and then the spice comes from those incredible notes from the from the espadine, which is yeah. also uh, going to be a probably more economical choice when it comes to a mezcal than pulling out some incredible tobala or oh, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or pechuga. You know what I mean? Although a pechuga has definitely has the spices in there. So um, wow, I think I'm I think I know what I'm drinking uh, this weekend. <laughs> I think I know it's what I'm drinking this weekend. Really yeah. Beautiful. Again, if you will see, it is not five different ingredients that you should have. 
you just need to have those elements. So it's not five ingredient based drink. Mm -hmm. It's five elements based drink. Mm -hmm. And then, all right, we have uh, a, a more higher brow yeah. example here to explore yeah. as well, Terrell. Tell us about that. So now this is your favorite. It's coming from Barbados. Amazing. It's, its name is, like, region is Barbados, but it, they basically don't have many things to do with Barbados because it's made with bourbon and uh, Irish whiskey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but it's just representing the flavor profile. It's representing the Barbados mm -hmm. and, um, and, the, and the area, area itself. And it becomes that way somehow, that it's like more representing a tropical part of it. Mm -hmm. doesn't have too many ingredients that would represent tropical. But it ends up, again, you see, it's so versatile that you use something that is not tropical, but after you clarify it and if you milk wash it and everything, it ends up with the flavors of uh, tropics. I have no explanation to it. <laughs> this is probably mother nature or this is probably the, some kind of golden ratio. Uh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> so it has the bourbon. We do straight rye. Uh, we do Irish whiskey. Um, we use uh, 12 year old, like aged Irish whiskey would be easier. Um, Irish whiskey is softer, you know, the triple distillation makes it very soft, um, lighter um, than uh, scotch. So rye is already have all the spices. So what's rye? Rye gives the spice to it. That's the difference between bourbon and rye, most mostly. Um, we have cacao which would uh, represent the area, the most, most dominate flavor would be cacao. We add Earl Grey into it. Earl Grey with cacao goes fantastic. Um, and we add coffee into it, yeah. So we have uh, uh, single estate coffees that come into it and we add a little bit of uh, Applejack to add that uh, sweet candied flavors uh, into it. Lemon, and we clarified with condensed milk, not with the uh, just. Wow. So basically, sugar part is covered with the uh, and uh, dilution part, which is covered with condensed milk. Interesting. With condensed milk, very sweet, and so basically, it becomes so soft. I would say it's something like clarified bourbon and Irish espresso martini, but that would have the flavors of. Tropics. That's incredible. Very, very strange, yeah. <laughs> you add ingredients together, um, add the condensed milk into it, or you add those everything into condensed milk, um, mix it, strong mix, give it a strong mix, uh, leave it for some time, and the milk will get all the um, pigments and protein will bond with uh, all the pigments and everything. And when you strain it, you will have crystal clear, a little bit lemon color into mm -hmm. it obviously uh, will have super soft so that's another part of milk now you can use other stuff to clarify it now we know that non-dairy or non-animal products um in in uh, dave arno's uh, book also you can find so many ways of to clarify uh drinks i use mainly milk or the like agar agar but milk is go-to or condensed milk is go-to because the way it makes the drink soft makes it very, very soft. And it's, it's the consistency changes a little bit. It becomes a little bit heavier when you have it super cold and we keep it in the freezer. Um, not like 
deep freezer but the regular freezer we keep it so it's ice cold you don't need to do anything into it you just put an ice or if you don't want an ice i personally drink it from wine glass amazing yeah i would just take a nice pinot noir glass add it into it swirl it a bit and like you know smell because it smells fantastic mm-hmm. it smells beautiful and any garnish on that one or that that just works again uh, kind yes. of on its own yeah, you don't need to add anything. Into it. Fantastic. It's just one drink now. Like <laughs> it's, it's a ready-to-drink cocktail. You just have a bottle. Mm-hmm. If you make it at home, put it in the bottle, keep it in the fridge, take a wine glass, or if you want um, I don't know, any any kind of uh, um, the standard tasting glass, you take a one, pour a little bit, and, and just drink it from there. You don't need to add ice. You don't need to add garnish. You don't need anything. To mm-hmm. Fantastic. Tural, listen, any final thoughts today? You know, you've given us two recipes, you've given us history, you've given us concepts to follow, concepts, the whole idea of concepts. Uh, any one final thought today on punches as a, as a drink and as a concept before we move into our weekly questions to get to know yourself a little bit better? I would say, so coming back to our first conversation, like, it was old, we thought that it's coming up now. Everything is in a, in a cycle. Comes up, goes down, and will somehow come up again. Like you see, tequila is the number one selling uh, drink in the world. And a couple of years ago, gin was in so high that bars, they had 800 labels of gins, right? And now you go anywhere, every every supplier that we meet, they have at least two, three brands of tequila yeah. now, especially in, the, in our area. So it, everything is, is like this. Now, punches, I don't want to say it's going down, but it's somehow the, I think, diet of people affects it a lot. What is the main concern at the moment? Sugar. Everybody's main concern um, is sugar is, like, mainly sugar. The people, they don't want to have anything that has a sugar. Mm-hmm. But you are not able to make punch if you don't have a sweetener. <laughs> yeah. right. But it will stay there because when people drink, drinking is not like casual drinking I'm talking about. It's, it's a social gathering. And what can be better than a bowl of punch with the friends mm-hmm. and you pour for someone, someone is pouring for you. It's, it's, a, it's a ceremony, right? So yeah. it's, it's different. So I would say buy some nice antique and uh, punch bowls from England. Ooh. Yeah. Use some kind of goblets and make a punch, make a big ice block, put into it, let it like dilute it slowly, but keep it cold and fresh. Cut some fruits in wheels, decorate it well, because the most beautiful visual um, presentation of drink, I would say, is the punch. Mm-hmm. When you see a punch bowl with a big ice, like a bowl like this, with a big massive ice in the middle, and you have um, fruits cut in the wheels and like edible flowers thrown around. It just looks beautiful. Incredible. You, I'm so glad that you brought that up there because it was a, very much overlaps with a thought that I wanted to finish on as well myself. But also, yeah, you know, we were, I was hyper focused on this in terms of from a bar perspective, but actually, you know, what you're mentioning there, hosting people and at this point, I do want to give a shout out to one of the friends of the show, Souther Teague there, uh, because I have had the fortune of um, enjoying 
one of his punches once at his house and you know he was he was hosting people and and I know Souther regularly listens so hi Souther and I just want to say thank you again for that because it really is a great ceremonial thing right and you have people over you have a group and and just that act of like oh yeah I never do this like I might batch cocktails for when people come over or I'll make cocktails make martinis but I think it's a really cool move to to really do a, a fun punch and build it off of that rhyme that we have today as well. When I tried Southers, I was like, this is great. I should do this more. And I still haven't done it yet. So I'm I'm committing to it now. I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to use the, 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 the Tampa punch <laughs> recipe there as my jumping off block. Um, before I go out and buy myself a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc, by the way, we have some unfinished business here. We have to uh, ask you our weekly questions first. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's do it then. And we'll kick off with number one. Um, what style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? Um, so I don't want to make it very long speech. It depends on the region you are mm-hmm. uh, and your concept. Mm-hmm. If your your concept is you, you obviously can have the cocktail concept and the spirits program concept uh, that's different but you need to have a concept mm-hmm. you cannot just have twenty bottles of this twenty bottles of this twenty bottles you, you basically cannot mm-hmm. you need to focus on something we do here a lot of bourbon and uh, tequila mm-hmm. I like I'm new to the states so I I'm trying to explore the bourbon as much as possible most people they see bourbon as a strong wood forward drink but now you see how it changes now eagle rare they just released 25 years old bourbon it's the first time in the history and we are we're living in something that the bourbon is aged longer and longer and longer before mm-hmm. it was just kentucky straight bourbon it's four years you age you sell it and that's it but you have a different different variations coming to it and um, we, we do you we use a lot of bourbon and whiskey here my personal favorite would be gin. Anything you can build on gin. Mm-hmm. Anything. Mm-hmm. People will may because gin is specific. Some people will say I hate it. Some people will say I love it. Some people even drink gin on the rocks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I like to build on gin because gin adds a lot of flavor, mm-hmm. flavor into into any drink, and it's it's very easy to play around because juniper is kind of. The gin has that floral notes, right? So you basically have something that has a floral note. You add something else that would keep the maintain the floral notes, but will will add different notes into it. Mm-hmm. Like tequila is very difficult to work around. Or you need to overpower tequila, or you need to add something that still the tequila's flavor will be dominant. So I would say bourbon we use here personally gin. Gin. Um quick follow-up question specifically designed for yourself here because I know you know you hinted upon it there Terrell you've worked in so many different incredible places around the world incredible establishments including as I was reading uh, and this this question by the way is going to have nothing to do with the bartending <laughs> but including I noted the tallest or the highest altitude bar in the world yes um 123rd Floor? 123rd floor, yes. In the Burj Khalifa? Burj Khalifa, yes. Uh, which got me thinking, 
Are you the type of person who holds the elevator open for someone when you see them running toward you? Or are you pressing that close button? Because I'll put my hand up here. I'm a closed person. I see someone come in. I'm closing it. But you must have spent a lot of time in elevators over there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, I, w- I was in charge of the beverage program for the atmosphere in Burj Khalifa. Um, elevator is the fastest elevator in the world. So it takes like 56 seconds to go up to 123rd floor. So Jeez. basically when you go home and you're living in, like I was living on 11th floor, it takes forever until you go to 11th floor after that elevator because it takes just 56 seconds to go to a few. And that elevator, I would say, close. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I get it. I'm with you on that one. Wow, fascinating. I feel like we could do a whole separate podcast alone just on on your experiences there uh but that's not the topic at hand today so i was just you know i was actually in an elevator on my way to this podcast recording right now thinking about <laughs> i was pressing the close button i heard someone come in the front door um all right we digress and we move on to question number two now though uh which ingredient or tool do you believe to be the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal um i would say the tool that I'm sure like 100% everybody would agree. 100%. I don't know anybody would, who wouldn't agree. That's trigger. It's a very popular choice in this That's section. Trigger. If you don't measure, um, I sometimes, so we have here punch room and we have arts club. Arts club is a, a club. Mm-hmm. We have like 200, 250 people at the same time at the bar. Everybody wants to drink. Yes, you go with the, you don't, you go with the free pour. But whenever I do that free pour, I'm thinking that, I'm not giving the best experience, best drink that is possible. Because you can be the world champion of free pour. One drop makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And the, it's right there. The jigger is right measure, there. Measure everything that you can, please. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? Um, I think the one, we had a gentleman who actually hired me to the atmosphere in Burj Khalifa, he told me that it's going to be very difficult, just don't give up. I think the bar is one of the hardest places to work, but it, it's, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's, it really is. Like, you have sleepless nights, you have late hours, and people complain, people get toxic, intoxicated and everything. But at the end, you get to see a lot of places. You get to see a lot of people. Um, I wish everybody would work behind the bar at some stage of their life. Mm-hmm. I mean, your testament. Yes, if someone is a bartender thinking that I cannot do it anymore, it's too hard. It's hard in the beginning. Like if you if you like it, um, it will become something very important to you. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. All right, penultimate question today. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? I I cannot answer that question, unfortunately. I've been to many, many mm-hmm. bars. 14 countries that I've worked with. Uh, I would go to a small story, very short one, if you don't mind. Let's do it. I worked in Maldives. Mm-hmm. We had a bar on the beach that in Maldives, the high... Tide is very strong. So when it's high tide, half of the bar was underwater. And I'm telling this story to everybody because this is a one of a kind story that I would remember years, ages, lives, and everything and everything. And when there was a high tide, 
the half of the bar was underwater. And we had reef sharks swimming uh, next to the water. And I would throw lines to the sharks to scare them. If I would go back to any bar one more time, I would go there. <laughs> it's not, nobody knows about that bar. Nobody even ever heard of it. Wow. But, um, you know, memories sometimes come back. And mm -hmm. like, that's, that's what it's all about. I feel like that's, that's the crux of this question as well. Yeah. Wow. Throwing limes at sharks. You're a braver man than myself. <laughs> it's small. It's small, man. If it would be a proper shark, I would run away from this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Still. <laughs> All right, then. Final question for us today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? Old-fashioned. Yes. So I have two cocktails. Um, my first cocktail is old-fashioned. It's the first drink I ever had. It's old-fashioned. Um... The first drink that has been made for me, like by a professional bartender, was old fashioned. And I'm also a big fan of old fashioned. Super easy, but very complicated. And another one would be the Charlie Chaplin. I'm massive fan. Everybody knows that if I'm going to drink some cocktail, that should be a Charlie Chaplin. Mm -hmm. But that would depend on the time of the day. I would say it's an evening, it's a one drink, and it's quiet and everything. Old fashioned. Mm -hmm. Because old-fashioned keeps you with your thoughts. Like you you think, you sit, you think about future or past or present. You're thinking what's going to happen, how is it going to happen. And old-fashioned kind of helps you with that uh, time, like mm -hmm. you know, to spend that time. Yes, old-fashioned. And what's your, do you mind sharing your Charlie Chaplin spec with us? Because I have a bottle of, unless I'm forget, unless I'm mistaken here, slow gin recipe? Slow gin, yes. I have a slow gin bottle sat on the shelf at home and I don't know what to do with it. I drink it neat, but I don't know what to do with it otherwise. So can uh, you really? share your Charlie Chaplin spec with us, possibly? I personally, the original one actually is the slow gin, lemon and apricot. Right? You do slow gin, uh, part of slow gin, um, half apricot, half lemon, half sugar. But I go, I don't put sugar. I go, depending on the slow gin company, that the brand, um, some of them are sweet enough. So you put part of slow gin, part of lemon, part of apricot. What, where's the apricot coming from in this sense? Or what form of apricot? Um, can be apricot brandy, or you can have apricot liquor. The apricot liquor would be sweet enough also, mm -hmm. so that it would, but be careful sometimes apricot liqueurs are bitter at the same time. So slow gin a little bitter, this is bitter. It makes off balance. Mm -hmm. But if it's a nice apricot liqueur, um, I think that's 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 perfect. Luxardo is doing a very nice uh, Fantastic. apricot liqueur. Fantastic. Well, throughout. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real education. It's been all, it's overdue, you know, like we said at the beginning there, you know, the foundational drink of modern mixology. And we were 120 episodes in here and we haven't covered it yet. I'm glad we did so today. Looks like I got some prep to do now. Yeah. Thank you very much for inviting. I hope I hope I had some small impact to to your to your day. And hopefully at the end of the day you will have something to remember. Cheers. Fantastic. And if I can try my hand at it, Haroshi Vihodni. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Cocktail College Podcast. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. 
Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seaside, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, and art director Daniel Greenberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. Cocktail College is brought to you by Zacapa number 23 rum. Listener, I want to talk to you about aging today and specifically about Solera aging. You probably know it from the fine wines of Jerez in Spain, and you've probably noticed it's become something of a trend these days in distilled spirits. Well, for Zacapa number 23 rum, that's always been the process, a blend of six to 23-year-old rums using the Solera method. But not only that. Here's what's super interesting. That aging takes place at some of the highest altitude facilities in the world. They call it the house above the clouds. And when you start to get that combination, that unique combination of Solera and altitude, what you end up with is an aged rum that is truly unique. Here's what else is unique. The patate weaving on every single bottle because they're hand-woven and... I'm a sucker for bottle design, so I wanted to point that out. But folks, that is Zacapa Rum number 23. The bottle looks great. The liquid tastes great. And it's got a really unique story you can share with friends. Head to zacaparum.com right now to learn more.